0: Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. few moments now before we actually come to the... Uh... What well, to the main event, to the baptism. We're going to spend a few moments actually opening up uh, the Bible, uh, which you might think is kind of an odd thing to do, but hey, you're in church, so uh, we're going to have to do it for a bit. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit that, um, that, that Andy, that Moxie shared in his story. Um, we're going to see if we can answer a few questions. I think Tracy mentioned the same, or knock down a few hurdles uh, that kind of an idea. We've been doing it a bit as a church recently, as part of a, a series of of studies in the Bible that we've called "Answers to Questions You Wish Someone Would Ask." And um, the the question for this evening, and uh, it it came up before uh, we'd realized it was going to be a baptism service, so I I apologize if it's of no interest to you, but uh, we'll we'll find something hopefully that'll intrigue you a little. But the question that's been asked, and that I'm going to answer with the help of the Bible is, is the creation story in the Bible just a myth? And, uh, and there was a little bit of a follow up part to that question, but we'll come to that in a moment. Um, before we get going, I've got a little question for you. Um, what's your favorite fairy story? What's your favorite fairy tale? Gordon, would you tell someone near you what your favorite fairy tale is? I need you to think for a little bit, okay? What's your favorite fairy story? Sorry, you're never too old to have a favorite fairy story. What's your favorite fairy tale? Mm-mm. a few of you are stonily resisting talking about fairy stories far too old for this kind of nonsense but uh what is it that makes these stories so engaging Uh, These stories, that they're universal, aren't they? And they keep on coming around, don't they? Generation after generation after generation. They never get old. They never seem to go away. And the stories of uh, a damsel, or I think modern, it's not always a damsel, is it? I don't know, a damsel or a a dude in distress. I don't know, can you have that? Does that make sense? Uh, There's always a hero, isn't there, riding to the rescue. Do you imagine yourself in that role? Yeah, all suited up in armor, all that kind of thing. The dastardly villain. I thought you might boo at that point, but uh, no, okay, thank you, I appreciate it. Comic henchmen, perhaps, there's always a few of those. Tales of Daring Do, there's always that adventure, that excitement in it. Fairy stories, they certainly seem to be a lot of fun, and, and they're quite a gold mine for Disney as well. They're doing all right out of fairy stories. There's a reason, I think, that we find them so much fun, why they still resonate in modern society, in spite of all of our technology, and everything else. The stories are universally attractive, endearing, and enduring. We'll come back to that in a moment. When we read the Bible, if you ever do, you have to be aware of what it is that you're reading. 66 books in the Bible, written by more than 40 authors, over a period of approximately 1,500 years It was written in just three main languages, but a pile of different styles. There's history books in there, there's poetry, there's wisdom literature, prophecy, gospels, letters, apocalyptic writing as well. It is the best-selling book of all time, and interestingly, the most shoplifted book of all time as well. I don't know how they get the information on that, but it is. And... uh, It's defined, I would suggest, an awful lot of the world in which we live. Legal structures, societal structures, even family life to an extent draws upon some of the stuff that we find in the Bible. And it still remains central to the lives of many people around the world, even a decent number of us here in the UK. The Bible has some pretty big claims about itself. It states that it is not just written by people, but it's the inspired word of God, breathed by God, actually, through human authors putting down the very words of God. It's not just the random, excited musings of people way back when. But for you and for me tonight, why should we pay attention? Why should we pay God's ideas God's wisdom, attention. I think, actually, we've heard already, uh, in spite of anything I'm going to say, we've heard already four more powerful reasons why we should pay attention. And that's lives. Lives changed. Lives made new. Lives given hope. And lives given purpose. Lives full of thanks. And thanks to God. You've heard those stories. That's probably the most powerful thing that you're going to hear tonight. I don't mind saying that. But when we address every area of life, every little question, everything that might trouble you or interest you or intrigue you, the Bible has something to say about that. Why should you pay the Bible attention? When we talk about this subject, the subject of the origins of the universe, of the world and ourselves too, isn't the Bible just full of fairy tales and myths and legends? Hasn't science... Disprove the Bible. And the other part of our question tonight is: what about the dinosaurs? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. I thought we just needed a bit of uh a... no, alright, that'll do, that'll do, thank you very much. For those of you who don't realise like that Jurassic Park there, obviously we're getting a little excited this evening. Before we get into issues of science versus faith. I want to spend a moment considering why you, why I, why we should pay attention to what the Bible has to say about where we come from. Uh, I'm going to read a part of the Bible, so in the true tradition of fairy tales, I shall ask you whether you're sitting comfortably, yeah, and then I'm going to begin. All right, we're going back to Jack and Ori, I think, for some older, well, anyhow, I'm not old enough. I'm going to read from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God, created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from other waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. There's a lot of water in tonight, isn't there? This is very baptism friendly stuff. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years, and populates these seas that he's made with all of living creatures and he populates the air with birds and the land with all the creatures that we know today and God just fills with the abundance and the excitement and the extravagance of creativity that is the world that we see. And then as we move on, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't know about you, but kind of wish God had said, let's do away with the creeping things. <laughs> Nobody likes creeping things, do they? But God left them in there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And he gives dominion and rule over everything that is in the earth. Giving them food, giving them everything that they needed. And as it continues, the Bible says that everything was finished. God saw everything, it was good. He saw the people he'd made, and he says, they're very good. Turn to someone near you and say, you look very good tonight. Not just good, you look very good this evening. Pretty awesome. And on the seventh day, the seventh day, God had a rest. So the very first day that people were in God's creation, he decided it should be a day of rest. I like God. I like him first day you're around have a break you've done nothing take a break anyway you want God as your boss now don't you he's really good where you come from has a huge effect on where you're traveling in life the fact that I live in Birkenhead really close to the church here affects how I get from A to B if I want to go to Scotland I'll use a certain route because I live here If I want to go to Ireland, I use a certain... If I want to go to Timbuktu, I would use a certain route. Where I live affects how I get where I want to go. Sadly, often involves the M56, which, as we all know, is evil. Um, It's not a good motorway. But how we are, where we come from, affects where we're going. From a Christian worldview... I'd suggest that it's only the idea that humanity, you and me, are made in the very image of an almighty, all-loving God that we've heard about in the stories of people tonight. This God makes us in his image, and it gives us an unshakable dignity. It gives us a sense of rootedness and the possibility of a homecoming to the God of our creation. It fills every day with meaning beyond the skill or decency of an individual. Meaning that streams from a creator and can satisfy and empower all of his creations. It's this worldview that we find shot through the creation stories. We find these people created in the very image of God, destined to bear his image into the rest of his creation. These people made with care and with the perfect balance between work and rest and made with a purpose that they might steward and tend and care for the earth, that they might reveal God's goodness, his grace, his glory, those acts of kindness that we've heard talked about already tonight, those ways of making a difference in the world in which we live. I think What we have here is more than just your average fairy story. But is it still science against faith? Is it still being reasonable or, frankly, being a bit daft? Is it still being a rational human being or taking a blind leap of faith, these kind of phrases that we hear bandied about. Well, for me, and and I have a degree in zoology of all things, I don't know why they let me stand up here and talk about the Bible, but uh, animal biology is my degree. It's never for me been an issue of pitting science against faith. I've never had to make a choice to reject scientific method or evidence-based reasoning. And on the other hand, I've never had to choose to reject faith in the God of the Bible. and The way he invites me and challenges me to live. I don't mean that actually I can put faith in one box over here and science in another box here. And if I don't ever let them meet, then everything's going to be okay. What I mean is that they're complementary. An increasing understanding of the physical world, as well as an increasing understanding of the spiritual world, will always lead to an increased engagement with how things are made to be, with the fullness of meaning that comes from engaging with creation and its creator. The Bible says that it is God who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. But when we've read the story of how God brought things into being, you probably recognised there's not a great deal of detail there about the ins and the outs, the hows and the wherefores of creation. It is certainly not a scientific description. And while the Genesis accounts are actually remarkably in tune with how we might expect the forces of a physical universe to fashion the stars and the planets that we see. They're remarkably in tune with how we might expect a a new planet to actually begin to grow and to team with life. There's no blow-by-blow account of uh, creation anywhere in the Bible. So I would suggest it's either wonderful or infuriating that the Bible simply shows a creative God bringing things into being solely by his own creative nature and by no more than the power of his command. The Bible perhaps says a little more than you think. There's a psalm in the Bible, Psalm 19 and The the guy's writing this poem. He, He starts to wax lyrical about the world that he's living in. And he talks about the sun rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them and nothing hidden from its heat. This is a guy writing thousands of years ago and yet somehow getting a glimpse into the cosmos and how it works. But what does the Bible say? But what does the Bible not say? Well, can we just get rid of some hurdles the Bible doesn't say about six 24-hour cycles of creation it certainly talks about six days but I wonder whether you noticed that it's only on day four of creation that the sun and the the moon are there it's only then that these things that cause us to have 24-hour cycles of days come into being so goodness knows how long days one two and three were The Bible also says that for God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, not so much literally, but saying that a God who isn't bound by space or time, well, he can pretty much do whatever he wants and say whatever he wants, and time is incredibly elastic for God. There's no need, for instance, to believe in a young earth, to believe in a creator God, There's no need to believe against the scientific evidence of an ancient world in order to believe in him. And the Bible doesn't talk about the means of creation either. A big bang is a perfectly possible way of God speaking something into being and it all being. Although I imagine if you're God, it probably didn't seem like such a big bang after all. I don't know. Maybe it just sounded like a little puff somewhere. I don't know. God can do whatever he wants in whatever means he wants. And the Bible doesn't restrict our imaginations. It doesn't restrict God. Nor does it restrict our scientific understanding of the universe. The idea that God might have directed the means by which we see everything that populates the earth. Perfectly plausible. To believe that God is capable of creation is to believe that he's capable of giving us the means of creation as well. And though the Bible, and I'm very sorry about this, doesn't mention dinosaurs, I feel like if there could be anything that would make the Bible better, it would be a few dinosaurs. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, we'll have a few dinosaurs in there. Uh, The Bible doesn't mention dinosaurs, but on the other hand, the Bible doesn't mention kangaroos either. No, they're not in there. Or meerkats or or your little dog that you've left at home with lots of water because it's so warm there's loads that the bible doesn't mention does it mean that the bible is false does it mean that it doesn't know anything about anything i would suggest no i would suggest that the bible is actually wanting to tell us one very significant story it's not a fairy tale i think it's the best story ever told See, wrangling over the ins and outs of how God chose to bring the world into being. It might be interesting, but it's not very satisfying. It's intriguing to speculate, but it won't change your life. It won't change how you live today, how you think of yourself, or how you think of others. What really makes a difference, if you're willing to have a look, if you're willing to engage with God, if you're willing to say, I'll have a look. I'll give it a go. I've heard some good stories tonight from some people that I trust. Maybe I'll just give it a go. If you're willing, then I would ask you to consider how a God who brings everything into being might be interested in your life. Hey, you didn't say anyone was going to make it personal. Nobody told you it was going to get personal this evening, did they? That's terrible of me. But God is interested in you. He's interested in you. There's one story I want to tell, and then I'm going to shut up, and we can move on to baptizing some people, which is going to be a lot of fun. There's a story that's a universal story. It's a story of the whole Bible. I would say it's the story of all of humanity. It's your story, and it's my story. Hey, it's the story of most days. The story begins just like the one we read in the book of Genesis with creation. The key thing about creation is not the scientific detail, although that's fascinating, and if you love to explore it, do so. Enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out. I think the key thing about creation is the fact that God made people in His image. God made people, you, me, with a unique purpose and a unique possibility. He made us to carry something incredibly special. You probably have never thought about yourself with this kind of significance, but can I say this to you, and you can think about it afterwards, you are made with significance. I don't care what anybody's told you, but you're not here by accident. You weren't a surprise. None of these things are really fundamentally true about who you are. You are made with significance. The Bible teaches that that significance falls apart when we take lives that are made in the image of God, we try to separate them from that God. The Bible calls this a fall. It's a way in which we actually move away from the possibilities of our life and move into something that is lacking in possibility, lacking in hope, lacking in purpose, the Bible doesn't finish there actually the Bible says God cares about you so much not just to make you but to find you in the place where you might be as far away from God as you could possibly be maybe you're as far away from God as you want to be but God comes to you in that place and he says I would love to make your life new I would love to make your life again with all of the possibility that it was first made to have I don't want you to live life separated from me, to struggle with the things of life on your own. Actually, I'd love you to know my hand upon your life, my love in your life, my care for you, making all things new. This is the story of the Bible. It's the story of everybody who ever places their trust in God. It's a story of being made perfectly. And no matter how far you may think that you've fallen from that standard, no matter how far you think you've gone away from God, God comes and makes us all new. He restores, He renews, He redeems. This is the story of creation. And it's the story of anyone and everybody who wants to know what it is to be a new creation in Jesus It's the story of every day. My wife and I, we've got a little lad, and not quite as little as that little one's just gone out. Our our little lad's about to come up one. And uh, we love him very much, and he's absolutely fantastic. And like every parent, we think he's the best uh, child in the world. Uh, But if we were honest, one thing he doesn't do too well is sleep. Yeah, can I I get an amen from any parents? Yeah, okay. It's not brilliant, is it? Uh, This idea of creation of the fall, of brokenness, of redemption, restoration. Honestly, it's kind of played out every single night because we might bath our little lad and he's just beautiful, smells beautiful. Yeah, I saw you just smelling your little lad there, Tracy. Okay, smells fantastic. You know, it looked brilliant. Go to sleep, absolutely amazing. Every child's beautiful when they're asleep. And you place them down. It's like the moment of creation. It's like the first dawn of, of the universe. Everything is in its right place, yeah? But then comes the fall. <laughs> Two in the morning, four in the morning. Whenever it is, things fall apart. You go in because you love your child. It's not just because you have to, honestly. It might feel like it, but you go in because you love your child. And you attend to whatever it is that might have disturbed them or whatever, and you, you enable them to get back to sleep and there comes that moment of redemption and restoration that's a silly example i know but it's just a microcosm just a little glimpse into the heart of god for you and for me he makes us perfectly he loves us more than i love my little lad more than any of you love your kids that's a pretty big love isn't it and when he sees us in all of our need, in all of our brokenness Then he wants to come, make everything right, make everything new, and give you the possibility of new life in him. This is the story of creation, it's the story of God, and if you want it to be, it can be your story too.